Well, good morning, Soul City Church, 9.30. How you doing this morning? I love it. That's awesome. Those of you who are here and gathered in our overflow space in the corner classroom. Isn't it so good to be here today? Aren't you so glad you came today? I'm so glad you came. I'm so happy to be with you. I love when we gather together like this. And uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. And for the month of July, we've been in a teaching series called An Unstoppable Force. We've been looking at how it is that you can live an unbeatable, undefeatable, unimaginable life with God. And when you join up with what he's up to in your life and in this world, how do you partner with God in life to have that kind of life? We've been looking at the first church, the very first church in the book of Acts, kind of reading through that over the course of the month of July. And what I want us to look at today as we wrap up the series is something we've talked about almost every week we've looked at this church. It's a part of who they were, their identity that was inseparable from how people perceive them. There's just, when they thought of this first church, this is what they thought of. It was at the center, something that was at the center of who they were and how they lived their lives together with God. In fact, it was something that actually drew people to what God was doing through them because of who they were. That thing that we're going to look at is generosity, how they were a radically generous church. That idea of generosity is inseparable from their identity. And my hope and desire is that that would be inseparable from our identity as a church. When people think of Soul City Church, they would think that's the most generous group of people I know. I don't know what it is about them. I don't even believe what they believe, but they are generous. And I long for that to be true of you because here's what I do know about you, whether we've met or not. You long for that to be true of your life too, don't you? That you would be a generous person. So that's what we're going to look at today. And to do that, I want to just kind of get a sense of who's in the room and where we're at. This will help if you can just play along here and in our overflow space. And if you're watching online and you're in a Starbucks, just play along. No one's going to know what you're doing. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand if you would call yourself a runner. If you say, yeah, I'm a runner, go ahead and raise your hand. And raise it proud. We are inspired by you. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right, good. So if you're a runner, you kind of know who you are. Here's uh, how you know if you're not a runner. Uh, if you don't run, probably not a runner. That's just an easy way to rule out whether you are, if you're having trouble figuring out if that's you. All right, so some of you know that years ago, I actually uh, ran the Chicago... You know what? I always say that wrong. I finished the Chicago Marathon. Because I want to be honest. I just want to be... I finished. I did finish. And what happened for me was that I had to go through a lot of training to be ready for that kind of race. And I've been talking to a lot of folks in our church who are running the marathon this fall. Do you know that we partner with Team World Vision every year to run with a purpose? And we have a ton, more folks than ever this year, running with Team World Vision. So I ran with Team World Vision the very first year, uh, mostly because my wife signed me up and didn't tell me. So I had to do it. <laughs> but listen, listen, over the course of all those miles that I trained, all those miles that I ran, I never became a runner. I never, because if I became a runner, I'd still be running today. <laughs> See, that's how you know. At the end of the race, they gave me a medal, not because I'm a runner, but because I finished without passing out. <laughs> so you can run without being a runner. In fact, I bet just about every one of us here knows how to run. Maybe as a kid, you rave, run, run for the bus, run for the train. You know how to run. That doesn't make you a runner. Uh, same is true a lot of other things in your life. How many of you, just by show of hands, would say that you are a writer? Raise your hand if you're a writer. A writer. Go ahead and raise your hand. Again, you don't have to second guess. If you're a writer, just raise your hand. That's awesome. Okay, less people. So we have more runners than writers. That's awesome. Good. Here's the deal. All of you know how to write. 
Just about every one of us probably, at some level, knows how to write. That's something maybe you learned as a kid. But just because you know how to write doesn't make you a writer, right? I mean, when is the last time like you, one of your post-it notes got you on the New York Times bestsellers list? <laughs> that doesn't happen, right? Just because you're you write doesn't make you a writer. See, there's something that happens when you become a runner or when you become a writer. There is a paradigm shift. There is a way that you reorient your life around that thing that you do so that it becomes a thing that you are. Anyone can run, anyone can write, but runners and writers see that as a part of, inseparably a part of their identity. And so today as we talk about generosity and we look at this first church and learn more about generosity, I want to be really clear the kind of message that I'm not going to be giving today. I am not going to be giving a message on giving. I know some of you are so disappointed. You really wanted me to talk about giving. I don't need to talk about giving. You already know how to give. Just like you know how to run, just like you know how to write. I don't need to talk to you about giving. You already know how to give. In fact, when we've brought things to you as a church and said, hey, there's this great need. Can we partner together around this to see what God might do through us? You give. It's amazing. It's inspiring. When we say, hey, we're going to give these backpacks for our friends, our partners at Brown and Debt Schools. When you give backpacks, you give. When we say, hey, we want you to help put together these Thanksgiving baskets as we partner with Melnati's and Breakthrough Urban Ministries, you give. When we say, hey, we need brand new coats and brand new toys for our Christmas store that we do in partnership with Brown and Elementary, you give. I don't need to tell you how to give. You already actually know how to give. But knowing how to give and knowing how to be a generous person aren't actually the same thing. Anyone can give, just like anyone can run and anyone can write. What I wanna help you do today is to learn how to be something. I wanna help you be a more generous person. And so to do that, we're gonna look back at this first church as we've been looking at all month in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible with you, fantastic. If not, why don't you grab one in the seat back in front of you, both here and in our overflow space as well. You can grab a gray Bible if you don't happen to have one with you and turn to Acts chapter 11. In the gray Bible, it's on page 767. Page 767. Acts chapter 11. Now let me give you some context as we turn to this part of the passage. The church at this point had been, really up until just before Acts 11, had been a Jerusalem phenomenon. It had been centralized and located in the city of Jerusalem. But because of great persecution led by someone named Saul, who saw it as his mission to wipe out this movement of the church, because he began to persecute and imprison and even kill those first Christians, it began to go underground and spread. And while his mission was to squash out, to stamp out the fire of this unstoppable force, what it actually did was cause the church to spread all throughout the known world at that point. So the church is actually growing well beyond the city of Jerusalem. And one of the things that was a hallmark of this first church was their generosity. It was inseparable from their identity. But up until this point in Acts chapter 11, what we've read about again and again almost every week as we've studied this church was that their giving was actually this unlimited generosity that became a hallmark of who they were was actually limited by proximity. Their unlimited generosity was actually limited by proximity. As we've read in the text and all over the place in the book of Acts, they gave to those among them who had need. People sold property, they sold their things to give to their community, people that were a part of 
this first church, they gave generously to them, but it had always been localized up until Acts chapter 11. So in Acts 11, we're no longer in Jerusalem. We're actually a little ways away from that, as we'll see. Let's jump down to verse 27. It says this, During this time, this time of the church growing, even in the midst of persecution, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. They didn't actually come down. Geographically, they went up north to Antioch. Antioch is a city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And in those days, before cars, it would take you to get from Jerusalem up to Antioch, it would take about a two weeks journey. So kind of like if you ever have to like drive out to Naperville, it's kind of like that. It's the same, <laughs> same basic thing. You know what we're talking about, all right? So it's a significant journey. And so some prophets, some leaders within this first church came up from Jerusalem to the church that had grown in the city of Antioch. And one of them, verse 28, one of them named Agabus. Everyone say Agabus. Now, that's not really that significant. He's an important part of this story, but he doesn't really appear much else in the Bible. The only reason I wanted you to say that is because if you got your name in the Bible, wouldn't you want people to say it? How cool is that? That thousands of years later, we're saying some dude named Agabus's name. Anyway, that's not the point. Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. So Agabus has a moment. He hears from the spirit of God. And without totally even understanding, he just stands up and says, I got something to say. There's a famine coming, a severe famine coming. And historians and archaeologists have told us as they've studied that he was right. It actually came in 41 AD and it hit the area of Judea where the church in Jerusalem was actually located. There was a great famine during that time. In fact, Luke tells us in that text in verse 28, this happened during the reign of Emperor Claudius. So he stands up and he says, I have something to say. There's going to be a great famine. And you can imagine if they're hearing this in Antioch, they're like, there is when? I don't know. Where? Mostly Judea. So there's not a lot of specificity to this vision that God gives him. But I want you to look how these people, some 300 miles away, with people that they most likely had never met or would never know, by faith, demonstrate what a life of generosity actually looks like. Verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, giving their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, I want you to remember who that last name is. Or we're gonna come back to him in a little bit. But do you get what's going on here? I want you to think about what's actually going on here. There was a future need hundreds of miles away for people that they had never even met, and yet they gave generously. Who does that? Who does that? The answer is generous people. That's who. Generous people. When they feel prompted by God, when they see a need that God puts on their heart, they're already ready to give because they've reoriented their life. They've shifted their heart and their perspective to see that it's all God's anyway. And all we get to do is the opportunity to just move it around. That's what generous people actually do. That's how they see the world. And keep in mind, these are not particularly wealthy people. We don't have any indication that these are wealthy people, that they had some kind of slush fund just in case of emergency famines. 
These are ordinary, everyday people just like you and me. But more than that, they were generous people. They were people whose hearts and lives had been reoriented, had been transformed to become generous people. They saw what God could do in them and through them when they trusted him with what he had entrusted to them. Let me say that again. They got what God could do in them and through them when they trusted God with what he had entrusted to them. They were generous people. And it's only when you become a generous people do you kind of get that mind shift. Giving is something anyone can do. Giving here and there every now and then, that's not actually what makes you a generous person. It's this perspective shift, this mind shift. It's what they knew in Acts chapter 11. It's what so many people in our church, in Soul City Church, already get and already know. They already see the math. They see God's economics, and they're already on board with it. They get that generosity has this way of creating an unlimited return from limited resources. Isn't that amazing? Generosity, think about that. Where, what other investment in your life right now has that kind of ROI? that kind of return on investment. An unlimited return from limited resources. Remember the text said they gave as they could. These weren't particularly wealthy people. But they knew that when they gave and they entrusted God with what he had entrusted to them, there would be unlimited. In fact, I would even use the word eternal return. Well beyond here and now. Well beyond themselves. From their limited resources. That's what generous people get that God is able to make much of your little. That what we would call financial, God says, oh, no, 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 that's not financial. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. Just look at what I can do when you trust me with what I've entrusted to you. And people that you never even may meet or never may even know are blessed because of your generosity. But generous people also know, not only are other people blessed, that they are the actual recipient of God's blessing when they choose to trust him and give generously to him. Only in God's economy could there be an unlimited return from limited resources where other folks are blessed beyond you and you yourself are actually blessed by being a more generous person. And doesn't that sound like a good deal? Doesn't that sound like the kind of life... You you want to be said of you that you're that kind of generous person, that you're that free and that trusting with your, I want that to be said of me. But if that's ever gonna be said of you, if it's ever gonna be said of me, it requires some pretty big perspective shifts. It requires us to sort of reorient our heart and our mind and how we actually see God and see ourselves. Because we have a, a way of looking at our resources that doesn't always line up with how God sees them. Think about it for a second. Do you remember the very first paycheck you got? Do you remember the very first paycheck? For those of you who've worked or been working, do you remember the very first paycheck you ever got? Do you remember checks? Does anyone remember checks at all? All right, so I'm just checking in here to see where you're at. 
You remember the very first paycheck? I remember the very first paycheck I got. I was 14 years old, my very first job. I vividly remember my very first paycheck. It was like for $44, but it was the most amount of money I'd ever had at that point. That I'd actually earned that kind of money from doing work. I was blown away and that they wrote my name on a check and that they'd given it to me and I could take this check to the bank and that bank would put money in my account. I'd never been more rich than I was when I got that first check. Do you remember that feeling? Can you like access that right now, that feeling of that first check? Like, I am living the dream. I'm doing it. And you never probably felt better. You never felt more wealthy, rich than when you had that first check. But then something happened. And you looked at that first check and you got a couple more of those and you thought, well, this is nice, but I'd like more. And I remember what I made. My very first job, I made $4.25 an hour. And I looked at that and I said, I should be making at least $4.75. I'm worth it. I've earned it. And so what ends up happening is you begin to look at this thing differently. You go, well, no, 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 that's, this is nice, but that's not enough. I need more. And that's fine. So then you go when you get maybe another job that pays a little bit more, or you ask for a raise from your boss. And what begins to happen is you begin to say, well, gosh, what if I could get more? And what if I could get more. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. I think you should make as much money as you can make in this world. So long as you are a generous person. Because there's a mindset of our world that doesn't actually align with God's. Shocker, I know. But in our world, we kind of have a, a different sort of scale for how we see things. See, in our world, we believe that more is actually greater than enough. All I need is just a little bit more. And you remember that from your first paycheck. It's like, oh, this is nice, but I mean, what if I had more? And in fact, you may be even that season right now. Maybe you're looking for another job or you're in between jobs. You're going, yeah, I don't want to start where I left off. I want more. Again, nothing wrong with that. That's kind of the message of our world is that you actually need more. You deserve more. And that more is actually greater than enough. But here's the question I want you to consider as you think about that. And I found myself saying, oh, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, then I would have enough. You ever found yourself saying that? So here's the question that no one ever takes the time to ask when they're feeling that feeling of more. Here's the question. How much more? Really? How much more? 500 more dollars a week? Maybe that's, is there a number? Do you have a number? 15,000 more dollars a year, that would be nice. 50,000 more a year, I don't know what your number is. Do you? How much more till it's enough? So what ends up happening is you may end up getting that amount. And guess what happens the moment you get it? Same thing that happened after your first paycheck. That's good. But what if I could have a little bit more? Then it would be enough. And you know what's amazing? There's a story we tell about generosity. There's a story we tell ourselves about generosity. I would be a more generous person if I had more. I am a generous person. I mean, I really believe I am. And I would actually practice my generosity by giving my money and investing my money in things beyond me if I just had a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more, then I would give more. And that's a great story to tell yourself, but the facts don't actually align with that story. In fact, study after study after study has shown that the more and more people get, the less and less they give. 
The Atlantic Journal did a study of the top 20% of income earners in America and the bottom 20% of income earners in America. And what they found is that the top 20% of income earners in America actually give around 1.3% of their resources to charities, churches, and organizations like this. 1.3% of their resources, that's what they give. Do you wanna know how much the bottom 20% gives? 3.2%. 1.3% for the top 20%. 3.2% for the bottom 20%. So that the people who actually have less give two and a half times more than the people who have more. See, that's the whole thing. We never stop to ask ourselves, how much more? And is it really true that if you had more, you would actually be more generous? There's just never enough. There's never enough. That's the story we tell ourselves. There's never enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. It's not big enough. I need to have more security for my future, for things that might happen that are beyond my control. It's never enough. It's never enough. And this is something we talk about all the time here at Soul City Church. This is scarcity 101. And scarcity is the belief that there is just not enough. So I need to get more because my belief is scarcity. There's not enough. And the truth is what generous people actually know, generous people know this. They know that scarcity is the enemy of generosity. The longer you keep believing that, that there's not enough, the more you will miss out on being a generous person. Scarcity is the enemy of generosity. 9.30, that is good. Y'all need to help me with that. So turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye and say, scarcity is the enemy of generosity. Go ahead, say it. It's the enemy of generosity. It's the enemy. It's that fear that drives you rather than the freedom that comes that there actually might be enough, that I actually might have enough. See, here's what generous people know. They know that enough is greater than more. It's greater than more. And the people who get this are the ones that you see or you come across who are most content in life, who are not stressed out, freaked out, running all over the place trying to get more because they get that what they got is a gift from God and it's enough and that they can actually know the one who is more than enough and they know that this God is actually a good God, that if he's gonna take care of the birds in the air and the flowers of the field, certainly he will take care of me. Generous people know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights who loves to shower blessings upon his children. That's what generous people know, that he is a good father who can be trusted to give good gifts who never holds back from his children, providing them with everything that they need. That's what generous people believe. That's a perspective paradigm shift. And when they get that about God, they begin to look at what they've got differently. Changes your perspective, changes your heart. So this is a sort of a how much equation. How much, how much? You're gonna keep on going for more and more and more and it's never enough? Or can you say, I trust that God is enough. He has enough for me. The next big paradigm shift for our hearts and minds comes to whose it actually is. Big shift. Whose is it really? 
See, because you're not going to be surprised to hear this. We live in a world that says it's mine. It's mine. And it's mine and I need to hold on to it. So it's, we believe that it's actually greater than trusting God with it. I gots to get mine. That's what you believe, I believe, everyone in this world believes at some level that it's mine. It's my stuff. If I earned it, if I made it, it's mine to do with as I please. And maybe I'll give to things here and there. Maybe I'll give if I have enough. But fundamentally, the who question of who my resources belong to is me. They are mine. But that's not what generous people believe. Generous people believe, no, 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 no. It's actually all God's. And that's greater than mine. It all actually belongs to God. It actually comes from God. It's just on loan to me. That's what generous people actually believe, that God actually has more than me and that he has all that I need, that God is actually the one who is the creator of heaven and earth and he's the Lord over it all. It's all actually his, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he is the one who actually gives me the ability to produce wealth, that he opens his hands to satisfy the desires of every living thing. It's not mine, it's his. It all actually belongs to him and he's entrusted it to me. And one day, one day, I long to hear the words from my heavenly father as he says to me, well done, good and faithful servant. You did much with what I entrusted to you. You got unlimited return from these limited resources. Well done. You got that it's actually all mine. That's what generous people long to hear. That's what generous people believe. That's why some followers of Jesus in some city 300 miles from Jerusalem heard about a famine that hadn't even happened yet and gave generously and joyfully to people they would never even meet because they got this, that God has given me actually more than enough and that it's all his anyway. They got that enough is greater than more, and God's is actually greater than mine. And as I think about this church, as I think about what it means to be a part of this church, what it means to pastor this church with Jeannie, as I was writing and preparing for our time this weekend, I just was overwhelmed with gratitude for this church. And for folks in this church who are making this fundamental paradigm perspective Shift. They're actually working with God to transform their beliefs, the way they see themselves, the way they see God, the way they see their stuff. This is a church that has decided to go all in, to go all in with God. And all month, this month of July, we've been inviting you, we've been saying, hey, we see what God is doing. We see what's next as we're heading into this next chapter for our church. As we look at that transformation center opening up this fall, we're asking, we're inviting you to go all in. And I am blown away by your response. Blown away. And so we've asked you the last two weeks to get out your phones and to text in a little thing and to say, you can count, I'm all in. I'm all a part of what 
God is doing here. I want to move from being a consumer to being a contributor. You know, I want to move from being just a recipient to a participant in what God is doing and going all in with whatever God asks of me in this next season. And do you know what's so amazing over the last two weeks? As we've said, go ahead and text in. If you're not already a part of what God's doing here and you want to be a part of what he's doing here, go ahead and text in and sign up to get on board with what he's doing here. Do you know how many people responded in the last two weeks from this church? 371 people said, you can count on me. Clap for that church. 371 people in two weeks said, I'm all in. Yeah, you can count on me. If there's a part for me to play, I want to play it. I want to move from the bleachers. I want to get in the game. I am, Jeannie is, our team is blown away at this kind of work that's going on in all kinds of people's hearts and minds perspective, paradigm-shifting stuff. And I want to be really honest. I'm aware, I'm very aware as one of the lead pastors here at this church that we have been asking a lot of our church in this last season. We've been pushing and pushing. And if I'm being honest, which, pause, side note, I should probably always be honest, but let's just (laughs) play the phrase. If I'm being honest, as I was preparing for our time together this weekend, as I was praying for you, I felt this knot in my stomach. I go, I can't give one more message where we say, come on, team, come on, troops, one more hill. Like, I'm that guy at the gym, your instructor that you hate, who keeps pushing you and pushing you. And I felt it. I texted Jeannie. It's like, babe, I can't do it. I can't, I can't give one more message. How much more can we ask? How much more can we push? And if I'm really, really, really honest, as I was writing this message, I had this thought on the back of my head, let's just scrap this message. And can't we do like an easier message? Like one on joy <laughs> or hope, love, a nice slow pitch right over the plate. Because I know, I know how much we've been asking and pushing and inviting people and calling people to in this season of our church. But then I was reminded by God. I was stopped in my tracks and reminded by God why it is that we started this church in the first place. And that's to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus and ever-growing, and ever-shifting, that the work is never done for anyone, for any of us. All of us have room to grow. And I was reminded by God of how much he has grown me and my heart of generosity, because I spent years of my life as a Christian, and even a professional Christian, giving, giving here, giving there, giving to things, But it wasn't until starting this church that I really began to get what it means to trust God with everything he's entrusted to me. And he began to grow a heart of generosity. And I was reminded by God of how much more growth needs to happen in me. And I was reminded by God that I'm actually not asking anything of you. I'm just inviting you to become who you already want to be who God actually created you to be, a more generous person. And I was reminded by God that he's actually trying to get something from you, but that he has so much for you. 
And I was reminded by God as I was studying Acts chapter 11 that there was someone in the room that it said at the end of that passage, there was someone in the room who saw that radical generosity where people gave to people they may never have even met or may never even known. Someone was watching. His name in that moment was Saul, but he would later become known as Paul. Write about half of the New Testament. And I was reminded by God of a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul, who was in that room in Acts chapter 11, no doubt remembering that radical generosity, wrote these words to another church in his time. He said this, but since you excel in everything, and what that means is since you're already awesome, since you excel in everything, and that's how we feel about you, this church. You are amazing, amazing, amazing people. Since you're already awesome, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in a complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, then Paul writes these words, no doubt thinking back to that room in Antioch, see that you also excel in the what? In the grace of giving. Not the act of giving. The grace of giving that you would excel, that you would grow beyond expectation, that something you do actually becomes who you are. And that's my heart and my prayer for you, for our church, for me, for our family, that we would excel in the grace of giving, that generosity would be inseparably a part of my identity and our identity and your identity to become a generous person, not just because of what you can give, but also because of what you actually receive in the process. That's what happens when you excel in the grace of giving. You get that generosity actually makes you a participant and simultaneously a recipient of God's grace. Again, what other investment in this world can do that for you? That you get in on both ends of the deal, the front end and the back end that you get to be a participant in extending God's grace and a recipient of God's grace. When you excel in the grace of giving, when you become who you actually already want to be and who God created you to be, a more generous person. And we may not know each other well. I may not know you yet. But I do know this. There is a famine there's a famine in our city. It's a spiritual famine. And it's led to all kinds of violence and poverty, prejudice, racial tensions and divides. There is a spiritual famine in our city. It's not one day when, it's now. It's not even way out there. It's right here. There's a spiritual famine where people are going about their everyday lives not experiencing what we've experienced here today. Not knowing the hope and the peace and the freedom and the forgiveness and the love of God. And people go their whole lives living in that famine. And I want to say that we will be a kind of generous church that says, Whatever, God, you ask of me, whatever it is, I actually want to meet the needs. I want to be a part of what it is that you are doing. 
I want to see my limited resources have an unlimited return. God, I want to see it not only bless others, I want to see it bless me. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. That people you never even met long before you ever got here to Soul City Church believed that too. And they trusted God with what he'd entrusted to them. And they joined in that great history of generosity that has come to define the church, that God longs to see renewed in his church. And because they trusted God then, you're here now. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? So here's what we're going to do. I want to close out our message and give you a chance to respond to God, to practice being a more generous person. And you may have noticed, as often when we talk about finances and resources, you may have noticed that we haven't received an offering yet. And you may have already figured out that we're waiting till the end of this amazing message (laughs) when you got all stirred up and maybe even a little emotional so that you would give more. And that's, you're like, I see what they're doing. They just set, they set me up and saved it all till the end. Yep, that's it. I mean, you got it. That's (laughs) same trick every time. But that's actually not why we do it. The reason we want to do this is because we want to give you a place to practice generosity. We want to give you a moment to respond. And I want to be really clear about what we're about to do when we receive our offering. Really clear about this one. I do not want you to give. I don't want you to give. I just want you to be generous. I want you to get that God has actually given it all to you. That you have enough in him. There's never enough when you're chasing more. There's always enough when you trust the one who is more than enough. And it's all actually his anyway. And when we get to practice giving to God, it grows our generosity. So I don't want you to just kind of give or throw what you have in your wallet. I want you to give from your heart. And maybe you're not even ready to do that today. And that's fine. And here's the deal. You may be a guest here today. It's your first time. We don't expect you to give. Why would we expect... Like that's like expecting your guests to do the dishes after the meal. I'm not expecting you to do that. You may not even be a person of faith yet. I'm not talking to you. I'm so glad that you're, I can't believe you came to church on a beautiful day like this. You don't even believe in God and you're here. I love that. I'm so glad that you're here. This isn't for you. I want you, I actually just want you to sit back and watch and experience those who do say, God is my father. This is my home. I want to be who he says I can be. I want to be a more generous person. And so in a moment when we give, lots of you love to give in person. You love that feeling of the money hitting the bucket and you love that sound. That's awesome. That's how you love to give. Some of you write checks and send that in. That's awesome. Here's just what I want to highlight before we close today. And it actually involves your phone. That there's a way that you can give. And if you have yet to sort of get in the game of being a generous person, this is a great way to practice doing that. You can text in Soul City, no spaces, just Soul City to the number on the screen. All you have to do is text that number and we don't take anything out of your bank. It's not a bait and switch. All we do is just send you a link to be an online giver, to practice generosity consistently online. That's how my wife and I do it. That's how we've actually been able to grow our giving every year. As we've grown in generosity, we're able to actually grow our giving It's not something I was able to save my life eight, nine years ago. I can say that to you today. That is the best way. One, it helps you be more consistent in your practice of generosity. Two, it helps us as a church be able to plan and prepare 
for this next season. I make no apologies. This is one of the greatest things in my life to help me become a more generous person. And so when you text in, all it's going to do is send you a link. It's up to you to go home. Figure out what you want to do, where you want to start. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start with a percentage. Start with saying, God, I want to trust you with this and I want you to grow my heart for generosity. I want to see unlimited return from these limited resources. So that's all we're going to do. Don't give when the offering comes in a minute. But practice generosity, however God leads you to do that. So let me pray for us and then we'll do that together and close out our time. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the fact that you are a generous God. You never ask of us what you haven't already done. And Jesus, you demonstrated that to us. You demonstrated God's generosity, your generosity, by giving your very self, your life for us so that we could live the life you created us to live, so that we could have a relationship with our Father God, our perfect parent, who loves to take care of his children. And God, we're very aware of the spiritual famine in our city. We see it on the news. We see it on the streets. And God, that you would use us to be a part of meeting the needs of this city, of meeting the needs of some people we may never meet or never know. For years to come, throughout eternity, that we get to participate in that kind of exchange. God, that's what we want. We want to be more generous like you. So we thank you for not holding back. Jesus, we love you. We lay down all of our fear, all of our scarcity, all of our resistance. We trust you because you have already laid it all down for us. And so because of you, we sing and we practice our generosity in this moment. Amen.